This is the Private Practice Workshop Podcast with John Clark, Episode 9. Today we're sitting down with our guest, Joe Sanok from practiceofthepractice.com. Joe is one of the nation's leading consultants on all things private practice. Today we're talking about how to make decisions about your marketing in private practice and how to know what's working. We've got a great show for you. Let's dive in. All right. Joe Sanok is on the show with us. Joe, I am so excited to have you and I know our listeners are excited as well. How's it going today? It's going great. How about you, John? It's going well. Um, so, um, Joe, I'm actually going to be seeing you pretty soon in person at Slowdown School in Michigan, which i am uh, been really looking forward to. Um, and it'll be the first time I've met you in person. I know. It's so weird. I feel like I have all these connections with people that I've never physically met in person. Um, and I'm so excited to meet a bunch of my consulting clients are coming to the conference. But then even Jamie J from Slapshot Studio is coming and I've never met him in person. But um, I feel like I already have these relationships with people. I do have these relationships with people before we've even met in person. Sure. It, it speaks to the power of having an online presence, right? Or even, you know, I've been a, a listener of your, your podcast for quite some time. And when I first had a, you know, a consult call with you, it was like, oh, I, I already know you. I know about your life. I kind of know um, what to expect. And that's all intentional. That's all kind of the power of podcasting and having an online presence. Yeah. And I think that even with my clients in my private practice, so many of them say, I feel like I already know you before they even come in, because I think the average consumer now is doing a ton of research before they even come into a practice. And so um, whether it's, you know, me doing my blog and my podcast for the consulting side of what I do, or just in regards to what I do for mental wellness counseling, I, I know that clients are really researching the heck out of me before they come in to see me. Sure. Joe, you've you've been doing this um, quite a while, and you're you're without a doubt one of the top consultants um, in, in the country. Um, <clears throat> something I noticed you doing is that you always seem to include a personal note, um, or even an anecdote, or a little story that kind of leads into um, the content of whatever it is you're you're diving into. Why why do you do that? Why do you make it a point to do that? Why is that so important? Yeah, you know, it was kind of part of who I just am in general. But then when I read the book, The Storyteller's Secrets, uh, that really helped me understand even more the power of story and why we're naturally drawn to to story. What happens when I tell a story is the parts of your brain that light up are the same parts of my brain as I tell the story. And so there's this thing called neuromirroring where you feel this connection when someone's telling a story because, you know, the people that listened to stories and knew where the tigers were and they knew where the lions were and they knew where the food was and they sat around a campfire, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, those people that paid attention to those stories and got those details were the ones that survived. And so naturally, we still get around a campfire and tell stories. That campfire may look like the MacBook that I'm looking at right now as I talk to you. But even as we tell stories, that idea of light and then stories happens all around us. You think about a movie theater. We're all huddled around a bright, shining light and we're hearing a story. And so deep inside of us is this idea that we learn through story. And I feel like that's why whether it's interviews like this or just saying, here's what's going on in my life, it creates a personal connection, but it also makes it that people say, okay, something's happening here that's going to help me out. And I want people to feel that when they, when they hear the podcast. So yeah, that, and that leads really well into one of our kind of main points for today, which is, you know, I want to really help demystify marketing for therapists and, and kind of take the sting out of that word. Um, 
you're talking about the importance of stories, and in a way, I think um, good marketing is is good storytelling, right? Absolutely. I think when people think about marketing, they often think about uh, kind of trying to sell people on something that they don't want. So, for example, when I was in college, all my friends started selling this new tech gadget, and I was like, oh, I want to make money off of that, too. And that tech gadget was a vacuum cleaner that we sold door <laughs> to door. And it was terrible. I didn't believe in this $2,000 vacuum cleaner. I had to like drive my minivan around subdivisions and just knock on people's doors, hauling this stupid thing around. I didn't <laughs> care about the product. It was terrible. It was just ridiculous. It was overpriced. Um, and I hated it. Like That's what I thought marketing was. was you've got a product, this $2,000 vacuum that you're like, it's really heavy. It's really not worth $2,000. And I got to try to sell somebody on it. That's what we think of when we think about marketing. But I think good marketing is exactly the opposite. Um, it does two things. I think it represents who you are and who you want to be as a practice. But even more so, it is aspirational for your client. Mm -hmm. And so good marketing will show your client what's on the other side of counseling. So when I see a website, for example, that has all these sad people on it and people fighting and a couple that has their back to each other and kids that are having a temper tantrum, people already know their kids have temper tantrums. People already know they're distant from their, from their spouse or their partner. We want to be aspirational in our marketing and saying, no, there's hope for you. Let me show you some pictures that look cool and hip and really show you that life can be better for you, um, that you can enjoy time with your spouse, that you can enjoy times with your kids, that you can be happier. Uh, and through counseling, we can help make that happen. And so, for example, on Mental Wellness Counseling's page, um, we decided intentionally to have an Instagram look. This was probably four years ago when we got a really big update done. And we wanted to have that kind of over filtered look that was people on the beach and having fun and um, connected to each other so that it spoke to we want you to be healthier we want you to find happiness we want to help you have a plan for your life uh, instead of you know all the kind of negative ads or negative pictures that a lot of people will pick just for their website as an example so that that's a major paradigm shift for us right um and you're really speaking to the result of therapy. And I think it's interesting because a lot of uh, amazing companies do this as well, um, that really they're connected to their why, to their purpose, and also they are able to explain um, how their product will, um, will change your life in, in a positive way. Yeah, and I think that I, I was just listening to a podcast this morning, Donald Miller's Story Brand Podcast. Oh, yeah, he's great. He's amazing, yeah. And he was interviewing, I forgot who he was interviewing, but it was a writer from Hollywood. And they were talking about Steve Jobs and Apple, which is often the go-to for a lot of these stories because they did such a good job, where they were explaining how we don't really know where we end and our product begins. Because you know, if I pick up my phone, or if I, for example, two weeks ago, I my phone just died. I, I did factory resets, all of it. It just would not come back. And for two days, I didn't have a phone. And I felt so disoriented. I felt like, how am I going to text my wife when I'm leaving the office? How am I going to get things done? How am I going to take square payments in my practice? So the extension of where do I begin and where does my phone end? And it, it really has become blurry. And so good products integrate with our lives where we say our life would be really different if this wasn't in our life. Um, and so that's not that we try to manipulate that in counseling, but that we say, wow, if I, during that really rough patch, didn't have my counselor, right. I don't know how I would have got through that. Right. Um, they gave me such great coping skills. They really taught me some amazing things. Um, they made me a better person, and they saw something in me that I hadn't yet seen in myself. Like, that's what counseling does, and that's what's inspirational, but it's also aspirational in our marketing. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I, I find that a lot of therapists have a hard time just kind of embracing that um, when we're marketing ourselves, we're marketing a product and that product happens to be yourself, right? Or happens to be 50 minutes with you. Um, wh- why do therapists struggle with um, just kind of owning that and, and really being able to, to look at themselves more objectively like that? Well, I think that the best companies not just counseling companies, but just companies in general, they have their product, but it's always about the buyer. It's always about the consumer and who they are and what they want. And it's not, our product is number one. We're amazing. Come to us because we just kick butt all the time. Like nobody cares about that. But if it's, you can kick butt all the time, you can be number one, you can have a better family. That's where really, I think the good marketing happens. And so when we when we look to how do I stop promoting myself, which a lot of us feel uncomfortable with anyway, and how do I start promoting what my client wants and creating content around that? So if you help couples, for example, that are going through a rough patch, writing blog posts about how to get through that rough patch is really helpful. And it's also really good marketing because you're then demonstrating your skills through blogging that would happen in the counseling session to give people kind of a peek into that counseling session. And so the more that we're really giving people a taste of what it's like to do counseling and not just doing self-promotion, but really who do you want to attract? What do they have as problems and struggles and who are they venting to? And then how do I make sure that I'm in front of those people so that they refer people to me? That then helps us get more clients. Mm. Joe, what would you say to, um, let's say, someone in private practice who isn't oh. isn't still isn't yet fully um, kind of bought into their own value and what they're providing, or kind of even who they are as a clinician, but they still want to grow, they still want to have um, you know a thriving practice. How do you kind of get people over that um, over that hurdle? Well, I always start with it's normal to feel like an imposter. Sure. Uh, you know, there's times that I interview people on the podcast and I'm just like, how am I even here? Like, <laughs> you know, I, and a lot of people would probably say, wow, Joe, you have a great podcast. Like, I can't believe you ever think of being an imposter. So I think first right. I start with that it's very normal yeah. uh, that we all have that internal dialogue. And there's certain times that that comes out more. So someone leaves a nasty Facebook comment on your personal page or on your business page, and it sends you into some mental tailspin that takes you back to eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um So that's normal. But then I'd want to look at, well, what do you have control over? Are you in a specialty area that you aren't trained in or you need more training in? Uh, If you're helping couples and you haven't been Gottman certified or you haven't gone through EFT training or extra training, you probably should. That'd probably be really helpful for you and for your clients. And so I then go to, well, what education do you need um, to further help you? And if it's, I already have, say, Gottman level two, Uh, and I still feel like I'm incompetent, it may just be that you need to do more of that work. Uh, work, When we do new things, it's really hard for us. And so the more you do it, the easier it gets. I was just talking to a consulting client yesterday about raising his rates, and he's never raised his rates in like four years. And so he's really uncomfortable with that right now. But I said to him, you know, I raise my rates two or three times a year for new clients. Uh, the more you do it, the easier it's going to get for right. you. And it's true. The, the more you do it, the easier it's going to get. So I would say it's normal. Get some skills and then just keep doing it over and over. Um, and then lastly, really thinking, um, are you attracting the kind of people that you want to attract to your practice? Because sure. there's certain types of clients that are harder for you to work with. They're outside of what you who you want to work with. Um, they really burn you out. And maybe you should only have two or three of those clients instead of 15. And so really understanding who do you want to attract to your practice, I would say, is, is the fourth part that I'd really emphasize people thinking about. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's really important to we're not waiting for that imposter feeling to go away completely. We're kind of moving forward along with that feeling. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up is kind of, um, that we, as therapists, we want to feel congruent and we place a lot of emphasis on, on that. Um, and yet we have to kind of push through those feelings and realize that when we push through them, when we raise our rates, when we um, kind of put ourselves out there, eventually the, 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 the feelings kind of catch up to, to the action, right? Yeah. I and, mean, it's that yeah. whole fake it till you make it kind of thing. Yeah, that's it. Um, I, was, I was going through cancer treatment in 2012 and I was down at this hospital in Texas. And, and on the day that uh, I was supposed to go in for my first appointment. My wife and my daughter were there with me, but they got sick. So they, I had to go all alone to all these first appointments. And then during the billing coordinator, the first person I met with, they made this really insensitive comment towards me. And I was in this like mental tailspin. And I remember going down to get blood tests done and thinking like, what would I tell my clients to do? And I'm like, okay, tell them fake it till you make it, have some gratitude here um, and take some deep breaths. So I sat down and I'm like, hey, stupid <laughs> counselor, let's see if this counseling stuff works. Right. So I take some deep breaths and um, I'm like, okay, so what do I have to be grateful for? So I have insurance that's covering most of this in network. We saved up money so we don't have to have a spaghetti dinner. Mm. Uh, you know, we're in a good place financially. And outside of this, things are going pretty well. And then I started looking around and saw how bad people's cancer really was. Mm. And, you know, people that were missing hair or this guy was missing a jaw or this couple came in and I couldn't tell which of them had cancer. And, you know, when when we allow our emotions to lead things versus stepping back and saying, what do I want to achieve as the owner of a practice? What do I want to have as my impact on my community and my influence on my community? Uh, that makes it a lot easier to fake it till we make it when we really have a clear vision for where we're headed. Whereas when we just let our emotions kind of take us through things, um, that makes it a lot harder because we get paralyzed by perfection. Sure. Uh, you know, all through grad school, we have to write papers and we polish them and polish them until they're perfect and then we turn them in and then we get a pass-fail grade. And that's really not how business is. The things that got us through grad school are the exact opposite of what we need in business. We need to try things. We need to do experiments. Some of those will fail. Some will succeed. Um, and really, it's one of those things that we just have to keep moving forward and have imperfect actions rather than perfect inaction. Sure. Uh, I think I think about like my I have a two year old and this two year old and six year old both are singing like all the time, <laughs> and they loved the Finding Dory movie recently right. and that whole like just keep swimming thing. Uh, that's so true for life too. That with our businesses, like just keep moving forward, just keep swimming, um, and you're gonna figure things out as you go, and you'll be moving forward faster than you expect. Absolutely, it it really is about. Um, one time years ago, when I took the GRE, there's uh, the um, the mentor or the the tutor, or whatever, told us um, we're work. You're working these problems, these math problems, where it's like you've got to go you know, 15 miles and that's how many kilometers. And it's one of those uh, problems where you just don't have all the information and mm -hmm. you're, you're sitting there, you're raising your hand being like, Hey, no, there's something wrong here. Like I don't have all the information I need. And he, his thing was, it was, he would just keep saying, move forward in the absence of perfect information. Um, and he didn't know that I was, uh, a therapist. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like taking that in and thinking that actually applies so much, not only in my client work. And I even use that little anecdote anecdote with, um, with clients, but also with therapists, right? It's about, um, continuing to, to move forward despite not having a complete information. Um, I, I find that so many therapists have a hard time just making decisions in their practice. And when we, when we look at marketing, um, 
there's so many decisions to make, right? Whether it's uh, even having a marketing budget, which, which I know a lot of therapists just don't don't have or don't think about. But then just wondering, okay, where do I invest my time? And even which tasks do I take on myself? Um, I'm, I see this... Um, this kind of split between therapists who are pretty ambitious and they, um, they, they're willing to learn new platforms themselves like Google AdWords or Facebook ads or something like that. Um, and other folks just say, I, I want to have nothing to do with that, but I'll pay someone. I just want to focus on seeing my clients. Right. How do you, how do you help therapists make those decisions? Yeah, I think first you need to look at what phase of practice you're in. There's really only three phases. There's your startup phase when you're kind of bootstrapping it. You're trying to learn everything. You have to wear multiple hats. That usually takes you up to about $50,000 gross. So really during that phase, you want to focus in on your ideal client and you really want to um, kind of learn as much as you can about things in the practice. Next, you've got kind of your growth phase, which is where you're going up to about $100,000 and you're really looking at how do I better optimize my time? Is it worth it for me to put time into managing Facebook ads or is it worth it for me to outsource that to someone? Should I add clinicians to the practice so that I can start to grow a little bit more? And then really at that $100,000 mark, that's when you move into the scaling phase and you're really looking at excuse me, how do I remove myself from the practice from all of the non-essentials? So if you're still answering the phone, if you're still doing the scheduling, if you're still doing your your insurance billing, if you're uh, running some of your marketing, if you're designing everything, like that's not scalable. And so either finding other people, services, or technology that can take those things off your plate um, is where you really need to move through in the scaling. So it depends on which phase you're at. Um, but once we figure that out, when someone's at somewhere in the middle, maybe they're in the growth phase, um, I think it's important to understand what you're do- what you want to do, um, because a lot of people will take your money. And if you don't have a general understanding of what's going on, um, they'll just keep taking your money and you might not get any results. As well, you want to look at what kind of data can you get um, from the system, but then outside of the system. So looking at your Facebook analytics, but then also looking at are you seeing a jump on that page that you're sending people to on your Google analytics? So being able to understand what you want to get out of it, then saying, okay, now that I've kind of got it going or I have a general working idea, now I can outsource it. You, you always, um, I, I hear you talk a lot about um, kind of looking at the numbers, right? And I think that's such a valuable um, kind of tool for therapists and something that we're not necessarily inclined to um, uh, naturally in the work that we do and what drew us to this work. Well, why is it so important to look at the numbers in order to make decisions? Well, let me give you a practical example of why it's important. So a couple of years ago, uh, it was like November, I think, I decided that I wanted to do a New Year's ad. And so I reached out to the Traverse City Business News and the Traverse City Women's Magazine. And I said to them, all right, I have uh, $500 that I'm willing to put into advertising in your magazine. And I'm also going to be putting $500 into this other magazine. I told them the name of the magazine. What can you give me for $500? So I said to them, whichever one wins, whichever one helps me get more clients, I'm more likely to reinvest in. And so both of them gave me a bigger ad. They gave me an email to their email list and like a small digital ad, whereas usually for 500 bucks, you got a small ad in the paper and that's it. So from that, then I had what's called an A-B test. So I have two different marketing campaigns going on at once. 
And then when I got new clients, I'd ask them, how'd you hear about me? And one of them said, well, I saw that New Year's ad about goals in the Traverse City Business News, and we decided that we would schedule an appointment with you. And then the Traverse City Women's Magazine, I didn't get anybody. So right there, even though it's just one person that I paid $1,000 total to get, they came, I want to say 20 times or something like that, um, and we're paying $150 per session. And so um, I more than made my money back. Right. And so then I know that theoretically, if I do this over time and I can look at those numbers, I may know that for every $500 I put into an ad, I'm likely to get at least one new client. Right. And so, so when you're, you have you're talking that, about ROI, return on investment. Right. Yeah. Right. And so then if you have just kind of a general working knowledge of that, you don't have to be like a business major or anything like that, but just to know if I put in $5 into Facebook ads per day over a month, so you know over that 30 days, you're spending 150 bucks, um, I'm probably gonna get somebody out of that and they're gonna come from more than one session. Well, that's paid for itself. And so the, those numbers then inform you on how to best use your marketing money, but also how to save time. So I'm not just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned A-B testing in there, and I think that's a really, um, important concept that can be applied to whatever platform you're using. Can you tell us a little bit about um, about what A-B testing is and why it's so important in, in your marketing? Sure. A-B testing is basically just running two types of ads at the same time. So it could be that you run a Facebook ad and you have two different pictures and you look to see which one's clicked on the most. Or you might run a Facebook ad for a month for $100 and a Google ad for a month for $100 and see which one works best. Um, so really it's just having two different things that you're running against each other. And then typically what you want to do is you want to keep whichever one worked and run something new against it. So say Facebook ads, I spent 100 bucks in a month and I get a new client. Sweet, I'm happy about that. And Google maybe didn't, I didn't get anybody. So the next time I run something, maybe I'll run another $100 ad on either another platform. It might be in the newspaper, it might do it on Pandora. Like I'm going to then look at what would be something else I can test against what is now the established marketing that worked um, and then look at those numbers. And so then you're refining where you're spending your marketing money rather than just guessing. It, I, I, so, you know, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is this idea of how do you know if your marketing is working or out of the different efforts that you're making, how do you know what's working and where should you um, continue to invest your, your time and money? So, um, and I think it's also important to look at um, the different kind of goals of marketing, one being uh, something like brand recognition, right? Or if you're running Facebook ads, people aren't necessarily going to Facebook to find their next therapist. But when your, your, your brand is there, you have a blog post there and they get familiar with it. And then when they, they start to look for a therapist um, and they find you on Google or whatever it is, um, you already have that, um, that, that kind of rapport with them or that recognition. And then you have other kind of short, short uh, fast acting marketing strategies, things that are really intended to convert things like Google AdWords or where there's a really clear, call to action and you're wanting to convert uh, these potential leads into new clients. So, um, but, but out of those, how do you, how do you know uh, if your marketing is working? Yeah. So first I step back and look at sketching out the ideal client. We really want to know who we want to attract before we start attracting people. And so specializing, knowing who you want to attract. I even have my consulting clients 
give that person a name and age, really what are the struggles and pains they're dealing with, who are they venting to about those struggles and pains, and then making sure that I'm connected to those people that are connected to my ideal client. And so if they're gonna vent to a pastor or a yoga teacher or someone at the PTA, I wanna be in front of those places. So first you kinda gotta back up and decide Who's your ideal client and who are you trying to attract to the practice? And then I think you're absolutely right that then you want to be doing that kind of general brand building. And that can be through writing for your local paper. That can be being on local radio. Um, there's a lot of ways to just have that general brand awareness. And then you want to do that specialized advertising. Um, but to your question about how do you know if it's working, I mean, I think the bottom line is, do you have enough clients or do you not have enough clients? Uh, yeah, that's if, <laughs> I mean, yeah, really, that's super like, simple, right? <laughs> it's not working if you don't have enough clients. Yeah. You're not as busy as you want right. to be. Um, if you're busier than you want to be and you're looking at, well, do I refer people out or do I add clinicians? Then your marketing is probably working. You should continue doing that. Right. Um, we can get really wrapped up into numbers, but in everything I do, I ask myself, what's the function of this? And then also, is this scalable? And so right. you don't want to create things like even uh, I, the guy that I was talking to yesterday that was looking at his rates. He was going to have like a rate sheet and all these other things that kind sure. of went with the rates. And I'm like, if you change your rates, you now have to update like five different places. Yep. Like, forget yep. that. Like, I right. want you to be able to, to like spend your time on things better than that. So we we want to step back and say, what's the function of this? If you have numbers just to have numbers, forget that. Um, but if you have enough clients, okay, that's a pretty intuitive way to know if your marketing's working. What What's so nice and convenient about a lot of these digital marketing platforms are that you can turn them on and off, right? Depending on how your practice is, is kind of waxing and waning, right? Yeah, I, I really like it. So I can run a Facebook ad. Uh, actually, right now we're running one. Our budget's $1,000 for the month. Um, which is a lot of money, but for mm -hmm. a group practice, if I get one or two new clients into the group, like we've made that back. Yep. But if all of a sudden we get five new clients in day two, I can just turn that off sure. and, and say, okay, that worked really well. Um, or if it's not working, I can say, I want to, you know, increase the budget. I want to increase the daily amount. Sure. I want to short, I can shorten the period. So maybe I say, okay, we're not getting as many clicks as I thought we would. Let's have it be two weeks and we'll have that thousand dollars be in two weeks instead of spread out over a month. And so it's really agile how you can work through these online platforms, but it's important to know how to do that because yeah. if you say yeah. set up a $50 a day ad right. and you forget about it right. and then three months later you're like where'd all my money go because I forgot to turn off an ad right like Facebook's not going to give you that money back so you yeah. really want to be, <laughs> be clear that you know how to turn it off or set kind of that time right. limit I never do the ongoing on Facebook because I know I might get distracted sure. and forget to just like sure. <laughs> do it <laughs> <laughs> so so we've you've got to have a basic understanding of the platform right enough to kind of get started to know which which metrics are important to be looking at but uh, you know the reality is you try something and you 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 watch it right you you kind of test the performance or you run an ab test for for a couple different ads and you you adjust right it yeah. doesn't you don't have to be um you don't have to know absolutely everything but you you just need to know enough to to make these decisions as to okay is this a worthwhile investment right now or is this something that's that's not really working for me um, the other thing I heard with your, your Facebook ads, you know, uh, on one hand, you can look at it as, okay, how many, again, converted leads do I get? How many clients are coming in the door saying, hey, yeah, I saw your Facebook ad, but then also looking at impressions and again, going back to brand recognition and saying, okay, well, 
a, a thousand or eleven hundred people, you know, actually saw the ad, whether they clicked on it or not. And the the mental wellness counseling logo is in their mind somewhere, right? And they have right. You're, you're getting that brand recognition, and it's so it's less tangible, but it is it is out there, right? It is. Well, and what's great about something. it is if you set it up in Facebook, for example, to only pay when someone clicks on it then you've got all these impressions that you didn't even have to pay for. Uh, and so it's you want to make sure that you know what your goal is for the advertising too. But I, I think you're absolutely right that even if you don't necessarily get clients from it, you are building that brand by doing some of the advertising. Yeah. Joe, you we you have just jam packed so much value into this interview <laughs> as I as I knew you would. <laughs> uh, I take it you've had your coffee this morning. I have. Um, I'm about a third of the way through. I, I used one of my mugs though that like keeps it super hot. So right. every time I sip it, I'm like surprised. Like it's whoa, like, it's that like was the warmer first sip every time. Right? I know. Seriously. Well, I had a cup and good. a half just so I could match your energy this morning. <laughs> well, so thank you, John. You know, I thought of you. Um, <laughs> so how do you? Just to kind of sum it up or to kind of bring it home, uh, again, I think therapists really struggle with what to do next, right? Or they're going to listen to this episode and go, wow, there's a ton of things I can take from this. There's so much I could do and I want to try out based on what Joe has said. But I also don't want to get overwhelmed because then I just back off the whole thing or go, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't do this. I can't do private practice. This sounds expensive, right? So how do you really boil it down for us today and, and maybe just throw out some really concrete actionable tips for what people can do next? Yeah, I think people take on too much at once and then you don't really know what works. So I would really encourage people to start with one thing at a time. And so if you want to do Facebook ads, dive into that, set up a time in your week that kind of it's a reoccurring thing that you're going to learn Facebook ads, you're going to go in there, you're going to master it, and then you're going to figure out how to outsource it or automate it. Uh, instead of taking on, okay, I need to be on Instagram and Twitter, and I need to be blogging, I need to really pick one thing that you're going to work on at a time. I've done this since 2012 when I launched Practice of the Practice, and the first year was all about just learning about blogging, writing, and then I launched the podcast in 2013. I really wanted to launch the podcast earlier than that, but it wasn't like I didn't have a good habit around blogging yet. Sure. And so... I'd say you first want to just enter into one thing at a time, really master it, and then outsource as much of that as you can, because otherwise your plate's going to get so full and you're going to start to have clients, and then you're just going to drop the ball on a bunch of things, rather than, oh, I now don't have time for Facebook ads. I need to either outsource that, stop doing it, or somehow automate it a little bit more. Uh, and so in regards to how to do that, um, really simple tip, in my phone, I use the notes section. I have a today list and a someday list. So you know, there's always something you can be working on in your practice. Uh, and so put that on the someday list. Don't work on it today. Just look every day at the beginning of your day at what are the two or three things that I have to do today to keep moving that needle forward. And so that might be, I'm going to write one blog post today. I'm going to learn about SEO a little bit more. I'm going to research, you know, local counselors, and then I'm going to go do counseling with all of my clients. Uh, and so really just saying, what's my focus today? And what can I realistically achieve today? And then everything else, I'm giving myself permission to not even think about. Um, I'd say that that's how I've been able to continue to make massive action um, is by just being hyper focused on one thing at a time. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, just such great advice there, uh, Joe. This has been a lot of fun, um, and I'm I'm just so glad that you you came on the show today. What what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you, and what what do you have um, kind of going on right now that you want to tell folks about? Yeah, yeah. I have a couple things going on right now that 
uh, I think people might be interested in. I've been doing these, they're called World Changers Challenges. Uh, and so in June, before uh, in June, um, we had a whole group of people, I think we had about 100 people that went through that they had a big idea that they wanted to work on for a week. And I did a daily Facebook Live in this small group. And then in September of 2017, the next World Changers Challenge is to write an ebook in a month. And so if people want to sign up for that challenge, it's totally free. I'm going to be giving tips to people so that they can make an ebook that they can give away to their clients that they can help change the world for the positive. So they can just sign up for that over at practiceofthepractice.com forward slash challenge. Um, and then uh, I just, as you were saying, like, how do people know what to do next? Um, I do have a startup package that really helps people grow their practices. It's over $700 in value. Usually I sell it for $499, um, but I'd be happy to give it to your audience for $99 bucks if, if you want that Great. promo code. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put that in the show notes. Okay, awesome. Joe, thanks again for being here. And um, well, I will see you this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right around the corner there. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Joe, thanks again. Thanks a lot, John. If you take one thing from today's episode, I hope that you'll keep in mind this idea of making decisions in your private practice based on numbers. Even though we might have some anxiety uh, when we think about doing the numbers in our practice, I think that by, um, by kind of leaning into that and doing the math um, will actually help reduce your anxiety and give you more of a feeling of, um, of being in control of your business and, and, and of the future of your business. So I uh, hope you enjoyed today's show. Um, I appreciate you being here so much and being a part of our community. If you haven't done so already, head over to privatepracticeworkshop.com. Subscribe for the Business Basics Workshop, which is absolutely free. This is my way of leveling the playing field so that everyone can be running a really tight ship in their business. So you can step back, focus on the big picture, like how am I going to get more clients? All right, that's it for this week. I'll see you next time.